is a happy day. It's a wonderful day. It's a beautiful day. It's a wonderful day of celebration. This is Easter Sunday. And we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you know, and we worship on Sundays, and every Sunday is a celebration uh, of the resurrection because that's the day that Jesus came forth from the tomb, first day of the week, which was Sunday. So every day ought to be, every Sunday ought to be a special day, but we know that uh, we put a little bit of special emphasis on Easter, and I'm, it's okay. I'm glad that you're here. Now, with this large number of people, I want to ask you two questions before we really get into the meat of the message for today, and it's this. I want to ask you just right up front this question. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And has the living Lord Jesus Christ changed your life? Some of you have given testimony to that. That's good. To have you, do you really believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ? And has this living Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, changed your life? If not, then today would be a wonderful day to make that decision, to commit your life to Him and to believe in Him. Now, the second question I want to ask you is this. If you're a believer, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if you've committed your life to Him, and you follow Him, What kind of arguments could you give in defense of your faith when people would challenge you to say that God is dead? What kind of argument could you give to defend your faith? I find it interesting that during this uh, wonderful season that we have um, at least, that I'm aware of, three uh, faith-based movies that are showing now. Uh, One is Noah. The other is Heaven is for Real, based on the book by the, the little boy, uh, Heaven is for Real. And then the other one, God's Not Dead. Uh, I know that Noah and Heaven is, is for Real have taken some beatings and some criticism. And um, one of the things about Noah was people said it was, it was real dark. And it was just a lot of, just so darkness and, um, and not very, very uplifting. And um, from some of the reviews that I read about it and from some Christian perspectives, something hit me that I hadn't really thought about. And that is that during the time that God had Noah to build the ark, it was because it was a dark time. It was a time of sin. It was a time of rebellion against God. And it wasn't what we've kind of made Noah and the ark as a sweet little, uh, you know, children's story. Now you got them in the nursery, you got pictures of the ark and the animals coming in two by two by two by two, you know. Uh, if you've been down through our preschool hall there, you know that Miss Allison had a, has a mural there of creation that spread out. And I've, I've always kidded her and I said, you know, why don't we cover up that mural because Adam looks like Mick Jagger and, and Eve looks like Grace Slick. And um, why don't we put Noah's art there, you know, something more childlike. But after these reviews about the movie Noah, it hit me, you know. It wasn't a happy, glorious time then. God was, he was displeased with everything that was going on. And he said, I'm only going to save Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. So I agree with, that's why it's a dark movie. I haven't seen that one. Then Heaven is for Real, based on the, on the book, uh, uh, that's the, the retelling of the event that the, the little boy had, that um, he, he went to heaven during a period of time while he was critically ill and, and all that. And I'll tell you, I have not seen that one, but that movie has really taken a lot of beating. And I'm not going to go as far as some critics have. Uh, David Platt's got some stuff out on it about that. I think uh, John MacArthur have. Um, because to me, it's like bashing anything Christian. I will never bash or be critical of anything that's Christian. Because God can use it in a profound way. 
You know, it's like when we had the worship wars going on. And people say, I hate praise songs. You know, if you're a believer, you should not hate anything that's Christian, okay? Now, I will admit that there are some weaknesses in heaven is for real. And uh, I started reading the book when it first came out about 2010, and it just wasn't doing anything for me, and I put it aside. I do that a lot. If a book's not turning me on, I put it down because there's plenty of other books out there. So many books in too little time, right? So after reading all this about it this week, I decided I picked it up again. And I read about half of it last night. And it's got more scripture in it than I remembered. But I do agree with David Platt and John MacArthur from part of their approach to heaven is for real. And it's because, number one, they said, no, nobody in the Bible who died and was brought back to life. And Jesus did that with several of them, like notably uh, Lazarus. Lazarus was gone four days. Lazarus didn't have a thing to say about heaven. He was just excited to be with Jesus. And all that is revealed to us about heaven is that our focus is on God and our focus is on Jesus. And we're not worried about are the streets really paved with gold and, and you know, who we're going to see and what we're going to be like and how old will we be and all of those kinds of things. And the other thing that I know that they're concerned about and it concerns me too is that in America today, the number of people who tell you that they believe in heaven and are going to heaven is increasing. It's around 80%. But the number of people who tell us that they believe in God is hovering around 60 to 58 to 55 percent. You see the problem that's there? If you're only going to focus on heaven and not the God of heaven and how to get there, people aren't going to be going to heaven. So then that leads me to the third movie, God Isn't Dead. And I did go see that. How many of you have seen that? Oh, that's great. Great movie, isn't it? Very powerful. You know, it was a lot of, almost the entire 845 crowd had been to see it. But it's great. Now, for those of you who haven't been, I'll say two things to you. Number one, you need to go see it. Those of you who've seen it, you would agree with that, wouldn't you? Go see it. Now, the other thing I'll say is I don't want to spoil the whole plot for you, but you need to understand this to understand why I'm referring to it, okay? Uh, it's on a college campus setting, freshman year for a young man. He's got some kind of philosophical thinking class. And the first day of class, the professor says, okay, we'll all get off on the right foot. And I'm paraphrasing. If you just agree that God is dead, okay, everybody agree with that. And he passed out sheets of paper, and they were all had to do right on that. God is dead, and everybody would be fine in the class, they'd get along fine, and then they would move on to the other subjects that they had to deal with. Except for this one boy, this one young man, 18-year-old freshman. He challenged the philosophy professor. He said, I can't do it. I can't sign that. I can't do it. And so the professor said, okay, you'll have... Parts of three classroom time to prove that God isn't dead. And it's a powerful story about how he does that. And remember, this is in a philosophy class. And I never have thought too much about philosophy classes because I just think very simply. You know, and, and when logic stuff is taught as logic, it's, it's, just, it's illogical to me. I just, you know, if it's written there and I see it, I believe it, there it is, you know. It's just simple to me. I have a simple faith. It's there. I believe in God. Heaven's there. I believe in that. Everything in the Bible, I believe. You can't explain it because that's God. You know, you can, how you, how, I'm challenged. How you, how you explain the miracles that God did? I can't. It's just a miracle. That's what makes a miracle a miracle, you know? But so it gets a little bit heavier there with, with the, the theological stuff and the philosophical concept. But he does a great job with that. I'll tell you that. He does a great job. And the end of the, end of the movie, very powerful. And the whole gist of it is, is that God isn't dead and you need to take a stance for it. And, um, and that, that's what it challenges us to do. That's why I ask you that second question. You know, 
if God has changed your life, if the risen Christ has changed your life, what arguments could you give for the existence of God? You know, my simple mindset was thinking, okay, he's my perfect father in heaven. I know that. I have a relationship with him. I've experienced Jesus Christ. I know God isn't dead because I had a conversation with him just this morning. You know, I could go those simple things like that. And see, your story is profound and it's important. But that movie is moving into an area that's going to be more and more critical for us as we go through this uh, post-Christian culture in which we live today. And that is, it's in the realm of apologetics. And that doesn't mean that we apologize for being believers. And sometimes people do. Don't ever do that. But apologetics simply means the defense of our faith and the defense of the gospel. And that's what we're having to do today because we're in a post-Christian culture. So the issue for us today as we celebrate this wonderful, wonderful day of the resurrection is this. You know, what's so powerful about it? What does it mean for us? How will it affect our life? And I want us to look at the story of Easter because uh, as we look at it in the Gospel of Luke, we'll find that when the women went there to that tomb on that early Easter morning, they, they really, they really were, were, were shrouded in darkness. A lot of unbelief was taking place around them. They were so disappointed. Now listen to the story. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, when that first Easter morning dawned, it did so with a a gloom of uncertainty and unexpectedness and unbelief. But how rapidly that changed when the Lord Jesus made himself known to his followers. Now, the question for us today then is so what? What is is the significance of us for today? How will our lives be different because we've worshiped together today on this Easter Sunday? Once again, maybe you've been here once, you come once a year and that's it. Or you put a high emphasis on Easter. What's it going to do for your life? Well, I want us to look at this story with two thoughts. Uh, first is, is the miracle of the resurrection that took place. And that hopefully that will give you some ammunition to help you build your defense of your faith to Christ. And then the message of the, or the meaning of the resurrection. What does that mean for us? What will it mean for us? Okay. You know, I think, when I think about these women coming to the tomb like that, so early on Easter morning, I think about an incident that happened in the life of Martin Luther, the great mover of the Reformation, uh, Reformation movement. That he was in a deep depression over some spiritual issue and it went on for several days. And finally, one morning his wife came downstairs and she was just dressed in all in black like she was in mourning. 
And he looked at her and he said, woman, who died? And she said, well, God must have died. And he said, that can't be. God can't die. And she said, well, the way you've been acting, I would have thought that God was dead. You know, I think for a lot of us sometimes, that's our reaction. That's what we do. We think sometimes our actions say God is dead. And so we need to look at the miracle of the resurrection. Because the women went to that tomb that morning and they were not believing in the resurrection. They had forgotten what Jesus had said to them. After all, they watched him die. They saw them take him down and and place him in that tomb. What they saw was an empty tomb. An empty tomb by itself does not prove that Jesus has been resurrected. But here are some affirmations given to us in the scripture that does. And I want to look at each one of them. First of all, the miracle was communicated by the angels. The story here tells us that when the women came, they were the first at the tomb, they were the last at the cross, and it was two men dressed in dazzling apparel that we take as angels who had the conversation with them and said, well, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. They quoted scripture, what Jesus had said, and then they remembered. And see, why was it so important that women were there first at the tomb? Well, it's because women typically in that culture uh, were a third or fourth class person. Uh, a very pious Jew in that day would pray a prayer every morning that says, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Women could not testify in court. Their word was not taken as a good word. They could not testify in court. And so when the women came back, even to the disciples, they tended not to believe them. You read that in the scripture. But the two angels said to them, what? He's not here. He's not here. Remember what he said. And then they remembered it. There's a painting, I'm going to throw it up on the screen for you here, uh, by a 19th century Dutch painter Carl Blosch, uh, uh, trying to picture that moment. Um, and that's just imagination. Looks like there's Easter lilies there. And it kind of looks to me like with these angelic beings that they've got their hands folded in a, in a kind of in a pious way. And maybe it looks like their wings coming off the back. We don't know if angels look like that or not. But they look terribly feminine to me. Do they look feminine to you? Do they, they look like women to me? Or, or they have a female aspect about them? That's not exactly, that's not what the Bible says, is it? There was two men. They had male characteristics. So I would say to you, don't ever base your faith on a painting or a movie or a book. If it, if it heightens your interest in the Christian faith, go back to the Bible and always compare it to that. Okay? But the message was communicated by angels. Just like the birth of Christ was announced by angels to the shepherds, his death and resurrection was announced uh, to the women. The second thing to notice about it is the miracle was confirmed by the empty tomb. I've said already the empty tomb didn't prove it, but something about that does. Now, there's discrepancy about what tomb and where Jesus was placed. In my heart, I like to think that it's the tomb that's right near uh, a skull-shaped hill and, that, like, and it's this tomb because there was a garden there. And John tells us that, that the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and the garden was a tomb in which no one had ever uh, been laid. And, and uh, scholars, most of them think that Calvary and the, and the tomb were another location where the church and Holy Sepulchre is built on top of it. And you can climb through that church to a point where you stick your hand down in a hole. I was a little bit skeptical about doing that when I can't see my hand disappear in a hole. And you can touch the rock, you know. But I kind of like this one. This is Gordon discovered this and, uh, and, uh, in, the, in the late 1800s. And, and the, the thing I like about this is I believe, see, can you make out the, the kind of the, the skull feature there on them? 
The interesting thing is, is that when this tomb was discovered, scientists searched for DNA to see if they could find any DNA in the tomb, and they didn't. And that proves either that Jesus uh, never was in that tomb, or that Jesus wasn't in it long enough for his body to decompose and leave behind any trace of DNA. He didn't need that tomb long, did he? That's why he didn't have a family plot, family burial plot. It was a bartering. Other scriptures tell us that it was Joseph of Arimathea who went and asked permission for the body of Jesus and buried it in his own tomb, a brand new tomb in which no one had lain. There was an article, an ad that somebody wrote about uh, as an illustration somewhere in a Milwaukee, Wisconsin newspaper. And it classified ads that said, Use tombstone for sale, real bargain to somebody named Dingo. Now, I don't know who Dingo was and why he didn't need his tombstone anymore. But Jesus didn't need a tombstone, did he? That's not a grave marker. You go, you go to, to, the, to the tombs around the country. Most of them are obscure, but there are a lot of them uh, where famous people are buried, even religious leaders. And guess what? Their body is there. You go to this garden tomb, and it's empty. Not even a trace of the DNA of Jesus because he wasn't in there long enough to do that, to leave anything behind. Then the next is that the miracle was certified by the appearances of Jesus. Okay, so the empty tomb doesn't prove it. But the Bible, which has to be our book of belief, gives us some compelling arguments for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it gives us accounts of the appearance of Jesus after he was resurrected to many different people. You remember on that first Easter night that Jesus went looking for his disciples because they'd all scattered? And where did he find them? He found them scared to death in a room, probably the upper room, behind a locked door because it says they were afraid of the Jews. They were scared to death. They were frightened for their life because they knew that they were known as followers of Jesus and they watched Jesus be put to death. They probably did from a distance. And they knew that they were in danger. And then all of a sudden here comes Jesus through the door and appears in their midst. You remember Thomas wasn't there. And when they told Thomas, Thomas said, I ain't going to believe that until I can see him and put my hand in his, in his wounds. So Jesus came back for Thomas so he could do that. And he said, he said, here, Thomas, put your hand here. Touch. Thomas said, I don't have to. My Lord and my God. And then the Bible tells us he went on to make other appearances. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tell, uh, um, confirms that by saying, for, I, for what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, this is first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And that's an affirmation of the appearances of Jesus. You see, one of the things that people cannot deny in your defense of the gospel is, if you've encountered Jesus Christ, they cannot deny your experience. Philosophically, they can argue with you, but they cannot deny your experience. And the resurrection appearances of Jesus is further proof of the miracle of the resurrection. Then I want to go to the fourth one, and I think this is so important because I don't think we look at it enough. And the miracle was clarified by his disciples. We already talked about the fact that Jesus found the disciples that first Sunday night, Easter night, behind locked doors because they were scared to death that they were going to die. They were changed so dramatically when they encountered the risen Christ that they became fearless men. Now, a lot of different theories about what happened to the body of Jesus. One of them is like the swoon theory, that he just swooned on the cross. He didn't really die. 
Well, I tell you what, you go through a beating like he went through scourging, 39 uh, lashes with that whip, then get nailed to the cross, and then hang down for six hours. You won't swoon, you will die. Jesus died on the cross. Then there's the fact that the, that the, the, the disciples stole the body and took it away and hid it, and they fabricated this lie. Why would they want to fabricate a story and make up a lie? Well, the only reason you could think of it, maybe there was some kind of personal gain in it for them. So what did these disciples gain by being followers of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you what they gained. James was thrown off the corner of the temple mount, and then he was stoned to death. Bartholomew was skinned alive. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. I think he had a spear run through him. Mark was dragged through the streets until he was dead. James was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down, and Paul was beheaded. Now, do you think those men would be willing to die like that for a lie or a story that they fabricated? No. But their encounter with the living Jesus Christ changed their life that they were willing to die for him. That's the miracle of the resurrection. So I want to ask you again, has the risen Lord Jesus Christ changed your life? Now, we go to the second question for today. And that is, what difference is it going to make in my life? The Son of God is not dead. What's it going to make? What difference will it make? That's the meaning of the resurrection for us. Several things to point out. First of all, it means that Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection validated everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus taught. Everything he said about himself. And he made some profound statements that upset a lot of people. You remember the scene in Matthew's Gospel when the, Jesus had his disciples at Caesarea Philippi? And Jesus said, okay, what, what are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? And they said, well, some of them say you're Jeremiah, some of this prophet, this other prophet that's come back. And Jesus said, who do you say I am? It's not surprising that it's Simon Peter is the one who answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right. And flesh and blood didn't reveal that, to, reveal that to you, but my Father who was in heaven. You see, Jesus was equating himself there with God. And Jesus is the one who said before Abraham was, I am. That upset a lot of the Jewish folks. And then Jesus made that st- the, 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 the statements of the I am's. And he said in particular, I am the way and the truth and the life. The only way to God. The only way to heaven. And in John 11 at the, at the grave of Lazarus he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You see the resurrection validates everything Jesus said about himself. And the power that he had. And so you're left to make a decision. I think it was C.S. Lewis who, uh, who made this uh, analogy that said, you've got to decide, well, either he was a lunatic who thought he was God, or he was a liar who claimed to be God and knew he wasn't, or he is Lord, and you need to commit your life to him. So there are your three choices. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. His resurrection proves it. Secondly, Because Jesus was brought back from the dead through his resurrection, we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. You see, the resurrection deals with two of the biggest problems we have in life, sin and death, and they're closely related, aren't they? 
Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also tells us that the soul that sins will die. And see what that's talking about, what that's talking about is that when sin entered the world, then so did death. And because sin brought that in, death came because we rebelled against God in that sin. But Jesus came to deal with our sin problem and be a sacrifice on the cross for our sin. What part does the resurrection play in that? The resurrection validates that God accepts the sacrifice that Jesus made through his death burial and then his resurrection. You see, there are several different ways to emphasize a plan of salvation. And you need to know some of these things as well. One is through the Roman road. It takes you through Romans uh, 3.23, that all have sinned. 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. But then you get to Romans 10, 9 and 10. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. And he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you ever thought about why Paul says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved? Why didn't he say if you believe in the virgin birth you'll be saved? That's important and it's true. Why didn't he say do you believe in Jesus who created this miracle, who walked on the water, who took a little bit of bread and a few fishes and fed a multitude of people, who raised the the dead, who healed the sick, made blind people see and deaf people hear? Why didn't he say that? It's because it's the resurrection that validates the significance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. When Jesus was on the cross, one of the last sayings that's recorded is he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You know, for a long time, I, I pictured that in my mind as that was just one of the sayings that he said at a particular time, maybe early in that stage when they were actually nailing him to the cross. But the way it's written in the Greek, it's, it's repeated over and over. So he probably said it many, many times. He wanted to make us understand He wanted to make sure that we could understand that forgiveness of our sins is found through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And it's His resurrection that validates the fact that God has accepted His offering for our sins. Do you know the peace of forgiveness today? And then we no longer have to fear death. You know, death is inevitable for all of us if we live long term and Christ doesn't come back for us before we die. Death is inevitable. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And oftentimes the question is asked, well, what happens to a person when they die? Well, my answer is always, that depends. If they're a believer, they go immediately into the presence of God for all eternity. If they're not a believer, they go to hell. And they experience the second death in the lake of fire. So, which are you going to choose? That's a, I, I think a lot of people fear death because they're not sure about where they're going to spend eternity. Oh yeah, there's an eternity for everybody. You either spend an eternity with God in heaven or you spend eternity in hell. And from everything I read in the Bible, you want to go to heaven and not go to hell. You see, Christ was resurrected so that our status about death could be changed. You know, most of the time when South Carolina is in the news, they really don't I'll make a, a nice picture of us, okay? They usually interview some woman going in Walmart with her hair in those pink rollers, you know, and ask her about something on the world scene or something like that, you know, and that's what people think about South Carolina. Well, this actually happened. 
A few years ago, uh, a letter went out from the Greenville County uh, Department of Social Services, Greenville County, South Carolina, and the letter was addressed to more than 50 former residents who had been receiving benefits but recently died. And here's what the letter said. To whom it may concern, your benefits will be stopped effective immediately because we have received notice that you passed away. You may reapply if there is a change in your circumstances. We celebrate today that Jesus allows a change in our circumstances when we die. Amen? You see, oftentimes we look at cemeteries and we think that's a place of so much sadness and death and sorrow. Well, in 38 years of being a pastor, there's no telling how many graves I've stood beside and how many weeping families I've stood beside as we have grieved in the death and the loss of a loved one. And we grieve and we cry and we mourn. But Paul says it's not without hope. And the hope is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friday, uh, I went down uh, uh, to below Estel, Lawtonville Cemetery, for the burial of a funeral of uh, one of our members, dear senior adult lady, Miss Ruby Ramsey, died after a seven-year battle with cancer. And we rode, in, uh, rode with a guy from uh, Cornelia and Mosley Funeral Home and two of our deacons, Tom Sutphin and James Sanderson, went with us because they're deacons for that lady's Sunday school class. Beautiful cemetery, beautiful, absolutely beautiful oaks, just an absolutely beautiful place. And as we placed her remains into the ground, we did so with hope because of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then on the way back, they indulged me that they would take a side trip and go down Highway 64 between Oler and Earhart so I could go to my family cemetery beside the Keir's Methodist Church and put the lilies out on my family members' graves. And you know the last thing I do every time I leave there putting out Easter lilies? I put them on my mother's grave. I put them on my grandmother and grandfather's grave. I put them on my Aunt Blanche's grave. And then I put them on their little baby sister, Lily Sue, that died before uh, my mother was born. And she died back in 1910 in some kind of flu epidemic. That I'll, you know, I'll see her in heaven one day. And I put those lilies on those graves. And the last thing I say before I walk away is, I'll see you in the resurrection. And that's because the cemetery is a place of hope. It's a place of hope. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you again today. Do you know the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And has he changed your life? That if not today is the day to come and make that decision to accept him as your Savior. Commit your life to him. Believe that that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And do you have any kind of defense, have you gained anything from this message today on this Easter Sunday about the resurrection that will help you give clear defense of your faith in Jesus Christ? Father, we bow before you and we thank you for this wonderful Easter day, this glorious day. Not only a beautiful day, but such a significant day in our Christian faith. The day that we celebrate that you brought the Lord Jesus Christ back from death. And you brought him back to life to verify your acceptance of his sacrifice for our sins. And also, Father, to validate that he is your son with whom you are well pleased. And that it's through his resurrection we experience forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with you. And I pray, Father, that everyone here today will be able to leave here with the assurance of eternal life with you. As they confess their sins and acknowledge Christ as Savior. And then they will live fearlessly 
and boldly for you in this world as they are empowered through their relationship with the living Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.